Happy New Year, everyone. I want to say Happy New Pulpit. For those of you wondering, oh, something different here today. What is it? It's, it's shiny. Anyway. So, um, Billy's left fingerprints everywhere. You know, it's just, what am I going to do? So, Happy New Year to you. Today, we're going to start to introduce um, a new vision, a refresh for this year and some themes for this year. And uh, it won't be an incredibly radical change, but it is a tweak. It is a change of course for us, a change of direction, a focusing of what God has for the church. Amen? So hopefully as we go through, and I'm going to journey through the last 12 months, my last 12 months here, so I'm not just going to get up and announce stuff. I want to take you on that journey over the next four or five hours so that we can all appreciate what God has been saying to us. Let me tell you a story. About 350 years ago, a ship full of travelers left Europe. And as they left Europe and they headed out, and eventually after traveling for 3,000 miles, it's great to see the youth here, isn't it? Are you glad to see youth here? Yeah, I know, they're all going outside to give Ellie something to do. <clears throat> so, um, but they traveled this, on this ship and they went about 3,000 miles and eventually they landed on what became known as America. And in their first year, having traveled 3,000 miles across treacherous oceans, they established a town. And the next year, they elected a town government. And the third year... The town government decided to build a road into the wilderness out of the town for five miles. They said, let's, <coughs> excuse me, I'm a bit croaky still. Let's build this road for five miles into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the town community impeached their government because they said it's a waste of money to build a road five miles to nowhere. Who needed to go there anyway? See, a group of people that were so on fire to pioneer and explore, who braved the oceans, traveled 3,000 miles within a few years, didn't want to move five miles out of their town. They'd lost their pioneering spirits. My fear is, in all nations, we've lost something of our pioneering spirits. The church has become for our comfort and our convenience. But I believe that the church exists for those who are not yet Christians. I believe we're not here for our convenience. I believe we're here for something bigger. I believe God has a bigger vision for us. While I let you ruminate on that point, let me share something with you before my wife shouts at me. And we want to give our congratulations to Tabby and to Emmanuel. <laughs> well, you don't know why yet. They got engaged yesterday, so. I see wedding cake in our future, Pastor Billy. It's good. So let's think then a little bit about vision and what it means to have vision. Helen Keller, who was um, deaf and blind 
from the age of 19 was once asked, is there anything worse than being blind? And she replied, yes, having eyesight but no vision. It's a great quote, having eyesight but no vision. Vision is the ability to see what other people cannot see. It's the ability to look beyond the horizon. Excuse me. The ability to be able to see this is where we are now, but this is where we need to go. And over the last 12 months, I've been on an exploratory journey. The first six months here, I was asking lots of questions. If I visited you, I asked everybody that I visited two questions, which I'll come to in a little bit. Later in the year, in July, we took the leaders and the ministry leaders away. We dug down a bit deeper into what our values, what our priorities, what our vision is. So this has been a work in progress over a period of time. What I'm sharing with you this morning is not the result of too much cheese on my pizza last night. Didn't have pizza last night, but anyway, there we are. So I will share our findings with you. But first... Let's ask a couple of questions. Does the Bible say we need a vision? Well, I believe the Bible has a lot to say about vision. You will know these scriptures in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. The word there for revelation or vision in in some interpretations is the Hebrew word hazan, which is more to do with being able to see, it infers a revelation from God akin to what the Old Testament prophets would have. When they had, you know, Ezekiel, I saw a vision, I had a revelation that God had something bigger. Habakkuk, and I preached you Habakkuk last year, some of you would remember, near the beginning of the year, Habakkuk 2 verse 2 says, Then the Lord answered me, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. The NIV says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so a herald may run with it, so it can be announced. See, a vision that's kept to yourself is not a vision, it's a thought. It's a dream. But it needs to be shared, it needs to be made plain, so that not just the pastors and the elders and the ministry leaders can run with it, so that the whole church can run in the same direction and herald the same message to be able to proclaim this is what all nations is about. For me, vision declares how big we think God is. I don't know how big you think God is. But if your God is big, your vision must be big. You must have a desire and a plan. So why do we need a vision? The scripture there that we read in Proverbs said that people perish without it. We become comfortable. We become set in our ways. We become used to the routines of our life. And we begin to treat church and, and our relationship with God as something that is just added into a busy life. When it should be central to everything we do. When people say to me, I don't have time to come to the prayer meeting. I don't have time to join a small group. I don't have time to support this and that. I want to tell you lovingly, your life has the wrong priorities. Because Jesus must be central to everything. It's not enough to say I'm a Christian because I was brought up in a Christian home. We need an encounter with Jesus and his Holy Spirit. 
We need to know that we are saved and what we're saved from and what we're saved to. You see, salvation isn't just about being saved from eternal punishment. It's about being saved to eternal life. And what does that look like in eternity? And what does that look like in the presence? We need a strong vision. See, when you have a vision, you cease to perish. If you are without it and you perish, if you have a vision, you cease to perish, you begin to flourish. You begin to change and live differently. So what is vision? What do we mean by that? Just take a sip of coffee. My lovely branded mug. Duke Ellington, not speaking about vision, he was speaking about rhythm. But he was once asked to define what rhythm was. And he says this, if you got it, you don't need no definition. And if you don't have it, ain't no definition going to help. As speaking of somebody with no rhythm, I understand exactly what he's talking about. People through the years have said to me, you know, when I was ministering in Africa, they said, you've got to feel the music in your feet. You know, it's got to come up from there and all this kind of thing and involve your hips and that. I want to tell you something. I'm a white British man. I don't have hips. (laughs) You know, it's just static. That's just the way it is. No amount of describing it could help me get rhythm. And if we could paraphrase that a little bit and say, once you have vision, you know it. But when you don't have it, you know you need it. You're just not sure how to get it. In that light, one of the best definitions that I've come across over the years was George Barner on vision, the, the Christian researcher. And he defines vision like this. He says, vision for ministry is a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God to his chosen servants and is based upon an accurate understanding of God self and circumstances for those of you taking notes those things are available online on my blog you can look that up because that's quite a big quote to then try and assimilate a clear mental image of a preferable future imparted by God I know God has great things for all nations four of us know God has great things for all nations. I know God has great things for this church. And I know God has put you here for a reason. So what is our vision? Where are we going? Now, I have to be honest, in my own personal kind of journey here, when I arrived here and I began work January uh, last year, 12 months ago, joined the team and all of that kind of thing and, and began to immerse myself in it. And I began to ask people, what is the vision of the church? I just began to ask. And out of everyone I asked that question to, only one came close. And I'm not talking about half a dozen people. I'm talking about 75, 80 people. What's the vision of the church? Well, I don't really know. We do this and we do that. I like that bit. I don't like this bit so much. You know, when I look around the building and I looked... Um, on our website and I looked at our notice boards and I looked at all our outward facing material we actually published four different visions four of them now that's not if you have more than one vision that's double vision if you have four that's like very focals 
it's like, what are, what are we talking about? We don't know because when you come into the church, there's something you like. There's something that drew you here. You might have been here for years. You might have been here just a few months. But as I began to say, well, what are we about? It became quite nebulous. I wasn't sure. It's just that things get added and added and added through time. Now, as I share some of these thoughts, some of you will have different opinions about what our core priorities and what our core vision should be. But I would say this, if we have two visions, that's not two visions, that's division. We need to come under one vision. We need to be able to say, this is what we're about. And so before I get into that, part of that journey with you as I was <clears throat> visiting many of you last year and certainly the first half of the year, I asked you two questions. Some of you would remember this. I asked you, what do you love about all nations? And what really annoys you about all nations? Is there anything that really frustrates you? Obviously, the humor is wonderful. You know, I understand that. It's not mentioned here, but it's gone up in your estimations. And, and here's what you love in the order that you mentioned it. These weren't led. I didn't come to you and say, what do you think of the preaching? What do you think of this? I just left it open and let you respond. And those are the five things out of about 21 things that were mentioned the top five things that you love. You love the preaching. Amen. Well, you did until this morning. <laughs> you love the preaching. Second, you love the kids, youth, one big church, Sunday school. You love that work that's going on. Oh, okay. Well, they've all gone, but they, they love it. You love the fact it's a multicultural church. You love the fact that there's a caring, loving family feel to the church. And you love the staff team. That's the Chris's and, oh, Chris is here. He's usually have that. That's Chris and Debbie and Aaron and Ellie and Esther and Sharma Aklina. You love our staff team. If I've missed anyone, forgive me. Oh, Billy. You love our staff team. <laughs> <coughs> and so you love the people that are working here, that are paid here. But then when we asked, well, what is there that frustrates you? You said this, top five things you listed, lack of volunteers. I have to say, every church I've been in, there's always been a lack of volunteers. There's always these parameters that, that seem to impact. I do know from Church Suite that over 50% of you are, in, 50 of you are involved in some form of ministry, which is wonderful. But we do need volunteers. And the second thing you said you didn't really get was tag preaching. You understood the idea Two people would share a platform on a Sunday morning. One would speak for 15 minutes. One would speak for another 15 minutes. And it wasn't that it, it was, we don't want to raise up new preachers. It was like to mentally leap from one message to another. It's just too much. We can't do it. Often there's enough in that first 15 minutes to feed us. Um, you mentioned the lack of planning, that we seem to be more reactive. Interestingly, coming up as well, that we're racially divided. So we love the fact that we're multicultural, but we're equally, we're racially divided. The th people seem to hang out in their, if I can use the word homogenous, that's nothing to do with milk, the homogenous groups where we hang out with those that we have the most in common with. And I think, well, yeah, that's true, that happens. That's, to be honest, that's probably true of every church I've ever pastored, that people like to hang out with the people that look and sound the same as they do. That's just part of life. But we're all here 
on a Sunday, united. Oh, amen. And a few of you mentioned the lack of students, which is something we began to address when Ellie joined us and said, let's begin to impact and invite students. Welcome, students, to those of you who are studying. And so with all that information, the, leaders, uh, the ministry leaders and I, we went away and we spent a day together. Uh, that's where we went. We went to, um, I'm still forgetting, Mortimer Chapel. Keep calling it something else, something far more exotic like Hawaii. I don't know why, but it wasn't Hawaii. <clears throat> we went there and we spent a day together and we were drilling down with that information, saying, well, what is God actually saying to us? What is really important to us? Because if I went back to our website as it was then, which has since been updated from this morning, by the way. But as I went back, we had like nine or ten different values that it was like, we're a church that's trying to do everything. And if you try and do everything, you do nothing well. Really, it's, it's the way it is. If you try and do everything, you do nothing well. And so we wanted to drill down a little bit. And I mean, taking them away, and there were many things that we could have said were priorities for us. But... When I share these four themes, these four priorities, which will lead us to what our vision will be, our overarching statement, I want you to know there are many things we could have included, but we're going to be preaching through these themes this year particularly. We're going to be looking at where our resources go, our direction, dare I even say where we budget in the future, will be taking into account, and already has taken into account, these priorities. Would you like to know what they are? Okay, the same four are still with me. This is wonderful. So our priorities are mission, discipleship, worship, and what we're calling legacy. Let me unpack those briefly for you, because each one has a little statement, an explanation of what we mean. Firstly, mission. We want to be reaching out with the good news, both home and away. We want to be an even more missional church than we are. Matthew 28, 19 says, (coughs) excuse me, says, therefore go, therefore go. The kingdom of God is not about just come to church. It's about the church going to where we need to be. It's about being that salt and light, about being that spiritual Influence within society. It's about not hiding, but going out. Some have said to me, I mentioned this last year, some have commented to me and say, so much goes on the missions budget. So much goes out overseas. I need to remind you, you're talking to an ex-missionary. I am never going to stop money going overseas. I want more money to go overseas because I know what difference that makes. I know what difference that makes. But if I can put it this way, A percentage of our uh, income does go overseas. And we'd love to see that increase over the years. But everything else remains here for mission. Whether we're giving it to a local parachurch organization, like The Way and other ministries, whether we're supporting national organizations here in the UK, but if you even boil it down to our staff salaries are to do with mission here in Reading. Everything else comes into Reading. And so we need to be aware of that. You see, the thing about mission is this. It's going to take us out of our comfort zone. See, while we might give mental assent to that and say, yes, 
the church, and we think of it in the third person, that over there, the church, that is on mission. But in my little bit of the church, I just do my little bit. I turn up on Sunday and I give my tithe and that's it. No, my friends, we are all on mission. None of us get a free pass on this stuff. When we read scripture and at the end of the month, um, one of the things we're going to start preaching through, I'm going to give you a theology of mission, of the arc of biblical mission in the Old Testament. And then Billy's going to preach on mission today. And then I'm going to give you the arc of biblical mission in the New Testament. I want you to know it's inescapable. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to being a mission person. You said yes to being a witness. You said yes to I'm going to share this good news that I found so liberating. When I became a Christian, I couldn't shut up about it. I mean, I got beaten up at school for it. I got kicked in the head. You know, I got all kinds of things going on. I had more bruises over my body in my teen years than at any other time in my Christian life because I was telling people that Jesus loved them. You're all like, I don't want to get beaten up, Pastor Keith. I just want to come. No, there's no free pass on mission, my friends. You don't have to get beaten up. You'll have more wisdom than I did as a teenager. But I want you to know this. You're on a mission. You're on a mission. And whether you are working, whether you're a pensioner, whether you're at uni, whether you're at school or college, wherever you are, you are on mission in that place. And we need to realize it. If we like our comfort zone, I have to share this with you. The comfort zone is where dreams go to die. It's where your dreams have died. If you're wondering why God has not fulfilled his promises in your life, it's because the mission has been abdicated and left to others. But as soon as you pick up the mission of God, God starts to work in your life. The promise in Acts 1.8 that he would be with us, that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, is in direct connection to our willingness to be witnesses for his name. You cannot have the power without the desire to be a witness. And if you say, I don't want to be a witness for God... And then you pray, Lord, fill me with your power. And then you wonder why God isn't filling you. He's not filling you with power so you can have a better life. He's filling you with power so you can bring hope. We have to understand this. None of us get a free pass. I'm not preaching on mission this morning. But I hope you're almost as excited as I am. See, not every yet Christian needs to become a follower of Jesus. And every follower of Jesus needs to become a disciple of Jesus. So it takes us into discipleship. What do we mean by this? Teaching and equipping people to become more like Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, we read these words, and make disciples of all nations. It goes on and says, teaching them everything. Now I personally think the world would be a better place if you all became like me. You would laugh at my jokes more. In fact, you would be able to fill in the punchlines before I got there. You would understand me a bit more. Everything would just be hunky-dory, wouldn't it? Even better if we're all just like Pastor Billy. Amen. We'd all be out on Monday with the golf course, ruining a good walk. (laughs) Would all be doing those kind of things? No. We point you to Jesus. He is the author and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. We point you to him. So I'm tired of churches and preachers pointing to themselves. Follow me for a miracle. Follow me for a blessing. No, my friends. Follow Jesus. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added unto you. You follow me for a miracle. You follow me for a blessing. You're going to be disappointed. But you follow Jesus. He will never disappoint you. To be a disciple is to be more like him. Molded and formed by him. And this is a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously. Some of us get frustrated that we grow slower than others. We look at others and think, they're such wonderful Christians. If only I could be like them. But they've been on a lifetime of journeying with Jesus. And I love the compassion and the grace of God. Who reminds me, the baby steps are still steps. The momentum is there. Discipleship is to do with the maturing process of the Christian, the sanctification, becoming more Christ-like. And I want to say that doesn't come with age. One of my favorite authors since long since deceased is Ed Cole. And he said this in one of his books. He said, uh, maturity does not come with age, but comes with the acceptance of responsibility. He goes on and says, that is why you can find an immature 47-year-old, but a mature 17-year-old. See, it's the acceptance of what God wants to do in your life. The honing process, the problems that you have, the sin that you have, the failure that you have, and taking that to Jesus, which takes you into a different realm to other people because they don't have the same things that you have going on in your life. We all join the kingdom from different directions, from different points, but then we commit to being a disciple of Jesus, not just a follower. So everything we do here, we want to make sure that we are teaching and equipping you to become more like Jesus. Our third priority is worship, facilitating authentic worship where everyone is invited to encounter the presence of God. Matthew 28, 19 Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What did he say to us about worship? I believe God is looking for uninhibited, unfettered worshippers. In John chapter 4, we read the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the worshippers the Father seeks. And so by this statement of worship, we're talking about our corporate Worship. I'm going to teach more on worship later in the year. But I'm glad that All Nations is a worshipping church. I'm glad you enjoy the presence of God. I'm glad you like to dwell a bit and savour him and enjoy him and revel in him. And I'm sure you're glad as well that we have a talented team headed up by Aaron who leads us each week faithfully in worship. I'm sure that you're glad we've got that. Maybe one of the things that brought you to all nations was, wow, the presence of God is there. And what we want to do is we want to create and facilitate that space for you to encounter God. That's why when we're punctual to church, we encounter more of him than when we're late. I know it's really hard. I know it's difficult, particularly when you've got a young family. You know, years ago, we just lived around the corner in Coley Park. We had three young sons. We could have got here one minute by walking. We were always late. 
I mean, just always late. We'd get here frazzled, you know, and, you know, coming down the road, we're sort of berating our kids. You made us late again. Getting to church. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Sunday faces on. I know it's really, really hard. But if you arrive for church 20 minutes late, you've missed 20 minutes of the encounter with God. You've missed 20 minutes of being able to celebrate his goodness. You've missed the joy. And the, when people come to me and say, we only sing quiet songs. That's because you're not here for the loud ones. You come in when we're dwelling. You don't come in when we're praising. My friends, we have to put this as a thing in our lives. Say, I want to say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord today. And so we bring willing worshipful hearts not wanting to miss out I long for the day we call it revival I don't think it's revival this but people will say oh that's revival I long for the day that if you're not here by 10 o'clock you don't get a seat because people have turned up early because they don't want to miss the intro they don't want to miss the opening prayer they don't want to miss the worship the initial worship that you're here you're like do you know what I'm going to ask God to provide for that parking ticket for me because I want to be in the house of God. <clears throat> and so you might say, well, that's revival when people do that. That's not revival. That's just self-discipline. That's just being in the house. That's just saying Sunday is not my lay-in day. I'm going to get up and I'm going to get my kids ready. I'm going to get myself ready. I'm coming ready to worship. And when I get here, all that arguments I've had with the wife and kicking the dog and all the rest of it, that's happened. Emmanuel, you've got all that to look forward to, mate. <clears throat> you know, all those things that have gone on in my home, I'm going to have dealt with that before I actually get here. And I'm going to worship. And I'm going to encounter God. And I'm not going to leave here until I do. And my friends are worshipping church. And our fourth priority that we hit on was legacy. And by this we mean nurturing and investing in our children, teenagers and young adults, the future church today. Yeah, I know it's good. <laughs> Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. What are we talking about? We're talking about making sure the generation after us has a great foundation. But making sure that our ceiling is their floor. Our ceiling is our floor. You know, the guys who are, uh, who are children today, teenagers, they, they have different battles. We understand that. But they don't have to fight the same battles we did in church. I can remember in the early 80s, when I was uh, recently saved in 1980, and the overhead projector was introduced to church My goodness me, you would think there was heresy being preached. Some of you don't even know what an overhead projector is. If you go to the Science Museum in London, you are sure to find one. And it was like, you know, that was my job for a while, to change the slides. I mean, there was an art to it. You know, it wasn't like on a computer where the worship leader was there. I mean, we had an organist and a pianist at the time. And they would decide, we're going to sing something else. I had to go through like 300 slides to find this. They should have been, I mean, it was stress, you know, but I was slick, you know. I wanted to make sure that you had a great worship experience. And I did stuff like that. You know, some of the things we get upset about in church, those who are coming up after us, they don't have to fight those battles anymore. Isn't that good? Well, I thought it was good. 
I'm glad they don't have to fight those battles anymore. I'm glad those things are done and dusted. And we appreciate, and you appreciate, it was one of the top five things that you said is really important. In fact, someone actually said to me, we love the fact of the, the we've got a children and family worker in Debbie. We love the fact that there's one big church and there's limitless Sunday school. And they said, but we don't have kids. I said, well, that's really, he said, no, but we've come to this church because this is where we want to raise our kids. That's astounding, isn't it? It's astounding. We want to make sure that our young adults have a great foundation and something to build on. I can recall years ago in Wayland Street in the old building, sitting around a heater in a prayer meeting. There was only about five of us. Um, I remember Mr. and Mrs. Cox were there. Some of you might or may not remember them. And Iris, she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, we need more young people. I was the only young person that ever went to a prayer meeting in those days. And I said, we need more young people. And I was like, yes, Lord, we need more girls. (laughs) When you're 14, not every prayer is a great prayer. You understand? Oh, yeah, Lord, bring them in. Blonde, preferably, Lord. Blonde, Lord. No, I didn't. Some of the kids' work and the things happening today are because of the prayers of 44, 45 years ago. What are your prayers going to be for the future generation? What are you hoping to bring out? Now, as I say, we want to focus a bit on youth and young adults. Some of you might say, well, that doesn't include me because I'm a little bit older. So am I. I'm a bit older. You might say this is not fair because I really want church to be about me, but church isn't about us. And if the Lord tarries, we need to leave a legacy. If the Lord doesn't return in the next 20 years or so, we need to leave something really strong for Reading and the surrounding areas. We need to leave not just people filling a pew, but disciples, people who are committed to mission and worshipping God. And we need to model that and teach that and show that for our younger adults. Let me tell you a quick story. I wasn't sure if I was going to tell you this. <coughs> Excuse me, a bit more coffee. A bit more spirit, Lord. There we are. And um, I was pastoring a church uh, a number of years ago in Eastbourne. And I told this story on Friday night, and they, they really liked it. So I'll tell it to you. It's a true story. There's a lady in the church called Maggie. Maggie has since gone to be with Jesus. And Maggie walked with a limp. And I noticed that Maggie walked with a limp because... One of her shoes was built up. It had a, a sole about this thick. And she would walk with this limp. She'd come in. And she was incredibly faithful in so many ways. She wasn't the complete article. She has some problems. But when I went to see Maggie, and I said, tell me, tell me about your leg. Was, were you born like this? You know? And she said, no. She said, that's from my suicide attempt. It's not the way you expect things to open up in a conversation. I said, tell me your story. She said... I'm a paranoid schizophrenic. So I have been for all my life. And at this point, she was in her 60s. I have been for all my life. And one day, I heard these voices, and they were so compelling, they told me to throw myself off of Beachy Head. Beachy Head is the chalk cliff face in Eastbourne, which is one of the suicide capitals in the UK. And she says, I did, and I survived. The only bones that she didn't break in her body were those in her inner ear. She broke every other bone in her body. 
She was in ICU being treated. They weren't sure if she was going to come through it. But in ICU, Jesus appeared to her. And she got saved, laying in the hospital bed. And I said to her, Maggie, that's just incredible. And she, you know, she took an hour to tell me the story. And I said, this is incredible. I said, do you still hear the other voices? She said, yes, I still hear those voices. I hear them every day. But I choose to listen to the voice of Jesus above those. I said to her, Maggie, will you come one Friday and share your testimony with our youth group? Now our youth group was all cool. It was like, yeah, brah, yeah, brah, all that kind of thing, you know. All that. I said, will you come and tell them? She said, I'd love to come and tell them. I said, youth, she's coming to... I actually wasn't there that night. I was away on, on business with Elin, but it was in our house and Barbie hosted it. The end of that night, every single young person gave their life to Jesus. Every single one hearing her story. And even now, that was about 2006, even now, 18 years later, those youth are in their late 20s, early 30s, when they contact me and say, Maggie was the one who changed my life. Maggie was the one, her story was the one that changed everything. I was like, well, what about my preaching? Yeah, you're right. The worship was all right, but Maggie's story Now, you may not all have a Maggie story, but you've got something. You've got something. All of my nurturing, up until really recent years, has been done by people who are older than me. I'm running out of people that are older than me now, you understand. I can remember sitting in Sunday school in 1980. I only got one year of Sunday school. I don't know if that was God delivering me or what that was. I don't know. I'd become a Christian. They said, right, you go to Sunday school Sunday morning. It was up in the school in Tylerst in School Road. That's where we went. <clears throat> and an old man, Dick Coe, Mr. Coe, who was in his 80s then, I guess, walking on calipers with walking sticks, would open the King James Bible to this group of teenagers and me from Whitley Council Estate, open up his, his Bible, and he would read a passage, and he would talk about it in King James English for an hour. I thought he was talking Shakespeare. That man in that year deposited more in me than many others have subsequently. My friends, because we're going to be talking about legacy, don't say you're too old. I need you to invest. I need you to invest. I need you to get alongside young adults and children. Don't wait for them to come to you. They're not going to because they're like too shy. But you're old. You're over that shyness. You're past all that now. You've dealt with your insecurities. Go and talk to them. I know Emmanuel would love some of you to come and tell your testimonies at young adults. I know Debbie would love some of you to be involved in Limitless Kids and holiday clubs and things. My friends, this is our future. And it's our future today. Can we do that? Can we rally around? Can we say these are the guys that we're going to get behind? So where does all that lead us? Those four priorities. It leads us to a slogan. Now, a slogan, we had a bit of debate about this in July when we were meeting as ministry leaders. Do we want a strap line? Do we want a motto? What do we want? And so I went away and I looked and I actually found a slogan. We won't call it a slogan. We'll call it um, what I'm going to mention. The word slogan comes from um, the Middle Age Gaelic, uh, Celtic languages, and it means battle cry. Arr, arr, arr. Battle cry. What is a battle cry? of All Nations Christian Centre? What is it that encapsulates these amazing things of mission and discipleship and worship and legacy? 
And so over the last few months I've been praying into that and saying, Lord, because we didn't complete that work on that day. But this is where we've landed. To make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. To make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. So if I ask you what is a student ministry about, it's to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. If I ask you what the ladies ministry is about, it's to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. If I ask you what the men's ministry is about, it's to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. If I ask you what every ministry, limitless kids, the youth, everything, what are we about? To make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. If someone says to you, what is all nations about? It's to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. Everyone includes the person you're talking to. What? No, not those overseas. Making a disciple, to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. To make worshippers, that's making Jesus known to everyone everywhere. To leave a legacy is making Jesus known to everyone everywhere. And so over time, I mean, if you look on our website today, that will say that as our battle cry. What am I here for? Until he returns, I'm here to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. Until Jesus returns, that's what you're here for. Now I have to say to you lovingly, if you're not comfortable with that, go find a non-offensive church. Because this is what we will stand for. And my friends, this is what we will die for. To make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. That's our purpose. And so that incorporates those four things I believe. To be able to say this is who we are, what we're for. So if you look on our website, it will be there. We're revamping our welcome material. It's going to be there with our priorities. You'll see these notice boards here in the, the side chapel. Those are going to change over the next month or two. It'll be there. Everywhere you look on the notice boards outside, you're not going to have two or three statements. You're going to have one statement. When people walk past our building, they'll say, what is that church about? It's to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. Well, I'm an everyone. We want to be clear and unequivocal in our message to the world. Not four visions, not dozens of values, but to be able to say, here is what we do. Here is what God has gifted us to do because we're good at it already. So we want to take the good and we want to make it great in God. We want to become everything that he has for us. So I believe as a church we have a glorious future. Four of us still. Strangely, it's a different four. I believe as a church we have a glorious future. Believe God is going to lead us into new things over this season. And those priorities I've shared with you, they're not going to be for life potentially. They might change, they might be adjusted. But what I want you to know is we are moving in one direction. We are going in a direction that God has given us. A glorious church, a glorious future. We are truly called to his service at this time. Can we raise up voices of expectancy? Can we raise up hearts that say more of you, Lord? Can we raise up a spirit that says, Reading will be saved. The surrounding areas will be impacted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people already know us for our kids' work. They already know us for our worship ministry. They know us for so many things. But can we make much of Jesus? Can we make him known to everyone everywhere? 
If you agree with that, let's stand together and let's pray. <coughs> Lord God, we stand in a new year, in a new moment, in a new sense of commissioning. And Lord, in many ways, this has nothing to do with transitions of leadership. This has everything to do with what you've been saying to a group of leaders over the last 12 months. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, make us a church that makes you known to everyone everywhere. Lord, there's some work there. That's an aspiration. We're not brilliant at that. But, Lord, we know that's where you've called us to be. Lord, help us to be missional. Not just to send money, but to send ourselves to be sent ones, to be ones who go into our community, who go around the world, who are those who share the good news of Jesus. Help us to be disciples, Lord, more than followers, more than attenders, but Lord, those who are committed to being refined and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Transform us, Lord, into greater worshippers, worshippers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we, less of you is not going to satisfy. We need more of you. We're a Pentecostal church. We want to encounter you every time, in every small group, in every worship practice, in every Sunday, in every prayer meeting, in every youth meeting. Lord, we want you there ministering and changing us. And Lord, help us to be the church of the future today. Help us with the legacy thinking that our children and youth and young adults will be protected from the enemy's schemes. And Lord, those of us who are further down the line, we will invest and we will celebrate and we will cheer them on because Lord, you have entrusted them to us. They are part of us. They're not less than us. They're part of us. And we want to celebrate them. Lord, we commit this morning to make Jesus known to everyone everywhere. And all God's people said... Amen.